Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And so what is significant about verse 5 is not the issue of whether or not the woman's going to be willing to follow Eliezer, but what we learn from verse 5 is how Eliezer is carefully considered, deeply considered what Abraham has told him. And so what we see from verse 5 is how Eliezer just absorbed the words of Abraham. And it's so astounding. That's the astounding part of verse 5. See, Eliezer has let Abraham's words sink deep into his heart. And that picture of Eliezer carefully considering Abraham's words, that picture of Eliezer having Abraham's words sink deep into his heart, that picture of Eliezer absorbing the words of Abraham, that's a picture of what God wants us to do with his words in the Bible. That we have this wonderful example here. We have other examples too in the Bible. We could see, for example, Jacob, he's got a son, Joseph. And the son, Joseph, comes up and says, I dreamed a dream last night. Let me get all the family together. I'm going to tell you what this dream was. Such a wonderful dream he has. He says, we're all going to bow down to him. And so all the family members said, ah, and they wrote it off. But not Jacob. It says in Genesis 37, 10 through 11, he told it to his father and to his brethren. His father rebuked him and said to him, what's this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee? And then it says, and his brothers envied him. They hated him. They envied him. But then it said his father observed his saying. He took it to his heart. Even though he rebuked him, he didn't let it go. He absorbed it. He took it to his heart. We see this in the picture of Mary, the sister of Martha, where we read about her in Luke 2, 19. When the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to her, it says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She should let it percolate through her mind. And we see this deep absorption of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in his mother, in Mary, his mother, where it says in Luke 2, 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them, and his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. So she said, wait a second, what did he say? I'm not gonna let that slip by. I'm going to keep that. So this deep absorption of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see this, and there was a group, there was a group in Luke 166 that did that, where he says, and all they that heard them laid up in their hearts, laid them up in their hearts, saying, what manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with them. See all these phrases? They laid them up in their hearts. They kept all these sayings in their heart. He observed all these sayings. He pondered them in her heart. See, all these are saying. And what this is saying to us is the message of the great Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4, where it starts off and it says, 6.4 through 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. 
And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Verse 6 says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Take them, ponder them, think about them. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples to do in Luke 9, 43 for 44, when he says, it talks about the group, and then he talks to his disciples separately, and he says the group, he says, they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. So they said, oh, look at all those miracles. I haven't seen that today in a while. That's something. But then it says, while they wondered, everyone at all the things which Jesus did, see, you can picture it now. They're all, the big group is wondering about what Jesus did. Then it says that Jesus said unto his disciples in Luke 9, 44, let these things sink deep into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. See, he uses this term, sink deep into your ears, to describe how his words are to be to us. The book of Hebrews exhorts us this way, when it talks about let's God's words sink deep into your ears, when it says in Hebrews 2.1, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip, keep them. And the verse tells us give the more earnest heed more effort, more focus, more concentration. Hebrews 12, two through three says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then what does it say? For consider him. That's the next step. This is the facts. Now consider it. Now let it sink into your hearts. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your own minds. See, to keep us from being worn out, from just enduring, we're told, don't just know, but consider. Consider him. Don't just know that he suffered these things, but let it sink deep into our hearts. So letting the word of God, letting the words of the Lord Jesus Christ sink deep into our hearts will keep us from sin. That's what I, Psalm 119, 11 says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin, sin against thee. It doesn't say thy word have I known, but the word have I hid. I'm not just able to quote chapter and verse in the Word of God, but I've hidden it in my heart. It's tucked away. It's in the deep recesses of my heart. I spent time tucking it here and tucking it there. Like someone that's got a lot of money and they're thinking about a burglar who's going to break into their house and say, you know, I'll put some under the mattress and I'll put some under the chair. And you know, that's what it means. And so every person in this world is categorized by how far they let the Word of God come into them. Every person is categorized by how far they let the word of God come into them. This is the meaning of the most important parable, the parable of the sower and the seed. Because it's really talking about, the parable of the sower and seed is really talking about, you can take a ruler and measure how far each person lets the word of God come into them, and then you can see those four categories. And he says it like this in Luke 8, 11 through 15. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those that be though by the wayside are they which hear and cometh the devil, taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root. And for a while believe, but in time of temptation they fall away. And they which fell among thorns are they which, when they heard, they go forth, and they're choked, choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in a good and honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, same word, and bring forth fruit unto patience. See the first crew? Hard-hearted, hard-grounded persons. They don't let the word of God sink at all into their heart. So, gone. Doesn't go very far. Second group, rocky ground, doesn't go very far either. Trials come and the word has no root, gone. Third group, thorny grounds, they let distractions 
They let distractions of anxieties, of riches, of pleasures, they limit the word of God as to how far it's going to go in by distractions. It's only the fourth group with the prepared ground that comes and they openly welcome the word of God. Openly welcome. They don't let trials, they don't let anxieties, they don't let riches, they don't let pleasures, they don't let any of that uproot the word of God. This is the only group that pleases God. And all because they let the word of God go deep into their hearts. Now, another way in which the Lord Jesus Christ asks that his words be carefully considered is what he said in Luke 14, 28 through 23, when he uses this term, he said, for which you intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost. He says, counteth the cost. That's considering, that's pondering, that's letting it go deep whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation, not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, and saying this man began to build, was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth now down first and consulteth whether he be able 10,000 to meet him with cometh against him with 20,000. Or else when he's a great way off, he sendeth an embassage and, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, he said, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now he said, this is what it meant. This is what he meant when he says, count the cost. Count the cost, it means forsaking everything. Everything, houses, wives, lands, if it comes down to that, no one will count the cost unless they let his words sink deep into their hearts. And when he said in Luke 14, 26, if any man would come after me and hate not his father, and his mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he can't be my disciple. He's disqualified. He cannot be my disciple. So the first characteristic we see here in Eliezer is that he did not casually listen to what Abraham was saying, but he carefully considered Abraham's words. The second characteristic we see in Eliezer here from verse 5 is that Eliezer then, having absorbed what Abraham said, he now becomes married to the mission. He's married to it. It's now his mission, and he wants to succeed for Abraham. And so he knew the goal is to get a bride for Isaac, and that's why he asked in verse 5 about, well, what's plan B? If I can't bring Isaac back to the people, this is going to be a tough sell, he's thinking. So why did he ask that question? Why did Eliezer bring this up? Because he wanted to make Abraham happy. He wanted to get a wife for Isaac. And this shows how much Eliezer wanted to make Abraham happy by having a successful mission. See, he wasn't just a servant. It wasn't just a servant. You know, he wasn't the attitude of, okay, look, I'm paid for eight hours of work. That's what Abraham's going to get. He's going to get his eight hours of work. I'll do the best I can. But if the mission's successful, the mission's successful. If the mission fails, the mission fails. Abraham gets my best shot. That's it. That's not Eliezer. That's not Eliezer. He wanted this to be successful. He wanted to make Abraham happy. And it shows that Eliezer is not just a servant to Abraham. He's a friend to Abraham. He's a servant friend or a friend servant. And if Eliezer saw himself as just a servant to Abraham and not a friend, then he would have thought, I got my orders, I'm off, I'm gone, I'll faithfully do what I've been ordered to do. But he sees himself also as a friend to Abraham. And as a friend to Abraham, Eliezer is taking this on as his personal goal. He says in verse 4, take a wife unto my son Isaac. That's me. That's why Paul starts off, he says, the gospel of Christ in Romans, gospel of God, and he ends the book with my gospel. He's become married to Eliezer. You see, as only a servant to Abraham, Eliezer would have said, all right, just tell me what I got to do and I'll do it. But as a friend 
of Abraham, Eliezer says, I've got to get a wife for Isaac. And that's why Eliezer is such a great example to us. Because we don't want to be just a servant for the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be his friend. And so the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't want to be us just to have the servant relationship with him. He wants us to have a friend relationship with him. That's why he said in John 15, 13 through 15, when he says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his, not servants, friends. And then he says, ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. And he says, henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I called you friends. For all things that I've heard of my father, I've made known unto you. See, what's the difference here between the servant and the friend? The difference is making known, making known. You might say, making known. You might say, more than a servant needs to know. A servant only needs to know what he's supposed to do. But because he wants us to be his friends, he's told us much more than a servant needs to know. As a friend, he wants us to absorb his burdens. He wants to carefully, carefully consider them and to absorb them, his burdens, his concerns, and make them our own. He wants us to see him in Matthew 23, 37, as he stretches out his hands and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, stonest those which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. And in Romans 10, 21, he wants us to see, but to Israel, he saith, all day long have I stretched forth my hand unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Now, we're Gentiles, okay? We are Gentiles. <laughs> okay, if we are Gentiles, what do we care? Why do we need to know that God is stretching forth his hands to the Jewish people? Doesn't affect us. Only the Gentile servant of the Lord Jesus doesn't affect him. But a Gentile friend of the Lord Jesus, when he sees the Lord Jesus stretching his hands out daily, crying to the Jewish people, and he says, as a friend of the Lord Jesus Christ, I absorb that heart burden into myself for the lost Jewish people. It's my heart burden. A friend of the Lord Jesus Christ says, no, no, when I've come to church, I've come to sing to God. When I pray, I've come to stretch forth my soul to God. When I hear prayer requests, I've come to take those on as my burdens of my heart. And when I hear the word, I'll make my heart like a sponge and it's just going to absorb the word of God. See, that's a friend. And so what we've seen in these opening verses here is that the first and foremost, Eliezer of Damascus was not just a servant to Abraham. Eliezer of Damascus was a friend to Abraham. Now, until we get to verse 10, Eliezer has really not believed that this is possible. See, the issue is clear. And Eliezer says to Abraham, I can't do it. I can't find a wife like that who's willing to marry a man that she's never seen before that's 130 miles away. So up until verse 9, Eliezer is not willing to swear to Abraham. He's not in. But in verse 7, Abraham explains to Eliezer, and this is the great change that comes to Eliezer, that, look, God's going to get the wife. If, Eliezer, you do your part, then the angel's going to get involved. And then after that, Eliezer, he goes along with Abraham and he believes God. And then he becomes convinced. He's a convinced man. See, before this, he's not convinced. And then after Abraham explains, he's convinced. So the meaning of verse 10, it just pops off the page as we see that Eliezer is doing in verse 10 is he faced this great impossibility. And it says in verse 10, and the servant took 10 camels of the camels of his master and departed for all the goods his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. See, verse 10 shows us that Eliezer has successfully fought off these feelings. He fought off these feelings of unbelief. That he's not going to find a wife for Isaac. 
He successfully fought off the feelings. And how did he do it? He looked into the face of Abraham. He looked into the face of Abraham. He let Abraham's faith transfer to his own soul. And Eliezer knew, naturally speaking, find a wife like that? No, that's an impossibility. But Eliezer, as a friend, so opened himself up, his heart up to Abraham, that Eliezer now has the same faith in God that Abraham does. He believes with Abraham that God has brought Abraham out of his family, out of his people, out of his country, and Abraham's seed is going to inherit the land of Canaan. And so therefore, Eliezer believes with Abraham, God's going to provide a wife for Isaac. So Abraham can have a seed. Because Eliezer now believes this. He believes now Abraham's God. And we can look at Abraham's faith. And then we can look at Abraham's faith. And we say, boy, now they're the same. And then we see Eliezer's faith. And he's setting out to go get a wife now. And we can just repeat the words of Charles Wesley. Faith, mighty faith, the promise sees. And looks to God alone. Laughs at impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. That's Eliezer. He had to fight off those feelings. How do we know that he believed God with Abraham? Because he's going, for one thing. But he's not just going. He's taking 10 camels. It's a huge amount. 10 camels. Camel can carry a lot of things. Lots of gifts. Lots of jewels. You don't need 10 camels just to make the 130-mile trek. You know, but the back and forth. But they're loaded with jewels and gold and silver and everything. Why? To persuade the bride to come back with him to Isaac. And to persuade the family of the bride to allow her to come back with him to Isaac. And he was going to need that when he ran into Laban. And those ten camels are loaded down. It shows how Eliezer is convinced God is going to provide a wife for Isaac. Now, how does that apply to us? What we've seen in Eliezer is how a man brought his doubts and his questions and his fears to Abraham and let Abraham address those issues by showing him how God was in this. See, when we have doubts and fears and questions, what should we do? Be like Eliezer. Bring them to our Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, what we've seen in Eliezer is a man who opened his heart to Abraham, look full into the face of Abraham, absorb the faith of Abraham, and Abraham's faith became Eliezer's faith. Well, we feel the swelling tide of our own unbelief, and we, like Eliezer, we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray in Mark 9, 23-24, Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father and child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And like Eliezer did with Abraham, we, with an open heart, we look full into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we let the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ become our faith. As it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with an open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, were changed, as Eliezer was changed, into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 4.6, God who commands the light to shine out of the darkness, he shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we absorb the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is spoken of in James 2.1, the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So from verse 10, where we see Eliezer loading down these 10 camels with provisions, the jewels, the gifts, we see an Eliezer that has become absolutely convinced now by Abraham, who convinced him God's going to provide a wife. So at the end of verse 10, we see how Eliezer comes to the city of Nahor, 
which lies between the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers. It's the same city as Haran that we read about in Genesis 11.31 that the father Terah took everybody to, and then in Genesis 12.4 that Abraham was 75 years old when he left this city. That's where Eliezer has come to. And so in verse 11, we see now Eliezer's got a plan. He's got a plan. It says, and he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of evening, at the time the women go out to draw water. So what we see in the last part in verse 11 where it says even the time when women go out to draw water, is Eliezer doing his long journey there. He's been concocting a plan here. He's been hatching a plan. He's been devising a plan how he's going to get a wife for Isaac. And he knows that, well, let's see, the men, they all meet at the gate of the city, so that's not a good place to go. That's where they like to go talk. But the women, they like to get together in the early evening at the wells to draw water. So that's where I'm going to go. He knows where the women are going to go. Just like the lions know that the gazelles go to the springs of water. Not that Eliezer's going to pounce on the woman, but anyway. <laughs> but he's decided to go where the women are. Okay, smart man. And he makes his camels to kneel down, and their loads are slung across their back, so that takes the load off them, so the camels are happy. And he has a job to do for Abraham. He's responsible for Abraham. He's got a plan. You know, he can't control the outcome, but he's sure going to do his best. He's engaged. This is one engaged man. That's why verse 11 is so important when you see him going out to the city by the well of the water there at the time, evening, because it's a challenge for us. When we do work for others, as he was, we need to do it diligently as to the Lord. As it says in Colossians 3.23, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men. And Eliezer didn't just sit down in the desert and say, okay, I'll just sit here until God brings me a wife for Isaac. He's got a plan. And the plan is the best he can come up with, and he's diligent about it. And now we see in verse 12 where it says, And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day. Show kindness to my master Abraham. What was the first step in Eliezer's plan to get a wife? Prayer. It's the first step. He doesn't rush in there and say, well, I got the plan. That's all I need. No, he prays. And here he's guiding us before we start our day, before we start a work. Prayer. Start it with prayer especially when it involves something we can't see into, like what kind of a husband or what kind of a wife this person's going to make. Nobody knows. Prayer is essential. We see that Eliezer is specific about who he's praying to. Eliezer of Damascus, he has lifted his voice, and he said, I'm talking to Abraham's God, to Jehovah Jesus. There's no question who Eliezer is praying to. He calls him the Lord God of my master. We need to focus when we pray. We know who we're praying to. We're praying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or we're praying to God the Father, who is an exact image, express image of God the Father. And we see Eliezer, he's asking him to send him good speed. He says, send me good speed. Literally, the Hebrew reads, he's asking God to show to his face kindness. Show to my face kindness. He knew he couldn't get a wife for Isaac on his own. He's asking God to be with him and to show to his face that God was in this in what happened. It shows that above all, Eliezer was asking God, make it very clear to me that you are leading and you're controlling in this. That's essential for me to know. And so he leads us, Eliezer is leading us here to have as a first priority to know that God is in the endeavor. And last in verse 12, which is where we're going to stop, he's keenly aware when he says, show kindness unto my master. He's keenly aware that Abraham's not just sitting under a palm tree drinking lemonade back home. He's on his knees praying also that there'll be good success. So he's asking God, in essence, hear Abraham's prayer. Answer Abraham's prayer also. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you for the life of Eliezer and how much he teaches us. And may we be like him. In Jesus' name, amen. 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you believe God created the heavens and the earth? Then come celebrate Creation Day on Saturday, November 5th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. This is a Christian family festival event with games, rides, contest prizes, fair food, petting zoos, animal shows, super science experiments for kids, plus life-size dinosaurs at our brand-new Dinosaur Gardens exhibit, plus world-renowned speakers, Ray Comfort, Tom Cantor, Eric Hoven, Jay Siegert, and more. Free admission to the museum and all speaking engagements are free for your family and your entire church family. The Creation Earth History Museum is located off Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue North in Santee next to the Santee Drive-In. Bring your family and friends Saturday, November 5th and strengthen your faith at Creation Day, San Diego's Christian Family Festival event. For more information, call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org creationsd.org.